0: Including a few virtual PD sessions for your school, I'll be joined by my wonderful co-host Kim and special guest Jenna Lab. You
1: can register at MathIsFigureOutable slash challenge for a fantastic learning experience. That's MathIsFigureOutable slash challenge. Now on to
0: the show. Hey, fellow mathematicians! Welcome to the podcast where math is figureoutable. I'm Pam, and I'm Kim and we answer the question, if not algorithms, then what? Y'all, we couldn't be more excited because we have just launched our free online workshop all about the development of mathematical reasoning. This completely free mini workshop is based on my most often requested in-person workshop. We decided to make it available for free. Don't worry if you've missed registration this time, Head on over to uh, sign up for the wait list and you'll be notified about it the next time that it runs. So exciting. Very exciting. Um, So
1: today we're going to talk about something a little different. Sometimes we talk about math for teaching and sometimes we talk about just the math itself, right? Today we're going to do some higher math stuff. Parents of high schoolers, this is going to be especially exciting for you because we're going to help you make sense of some stuff that your kids are doing. Functional reasoning. But listen, younger t- grade teachers, don't tune out. Math is figure outable. If it gets a little too much, let us know where we lost you and we can work on that. So Pam, I'm going to be <sighs> real honest with you for a minute here. Mm-hmm. When you sure. and I talk about the development of mathematical reasoning, like we did last week, um, from counting to additive, multiplicative, and proportional reasoning, I'm with you 100%. I totally get it. Okay. But here's the deal. When you mention functional reasoning, I kind of um, glossed over a little bit. <laughs> I have to admit, I'm not even sure I know what
0: you mean by that because I didn't teach high school. Um, and frankly, I know I'm not alone. Yeah, you're totally not alone. Um, and to be honest, right back at you, I'm still working on some of functional reasoning. Um, and based on the comments we've been getting from listeners, there are plenty of people in the same yeah. boat. So let's focus on that today. Okay. Now I know you said that you reason proportionally, but if it's okay, let's do some proportional reasoning-ish a little okay. bit here. Because in order to discuss functional reasoning, I want to take you from what you know, some proportional reasoning stuff, and connect it to the functional reasoning. Okay. Yeah?
1: Yeah. All right.
0: So proportional reasoning has everything to do with two things varying in tandem. They're they're both things are varying at the same time. So when you buy more pounds of apples, you pay more. But yeah what about when you start with a ratio of five pounds for two dollars that's not as easy as a unit rate for just like for one dollar or for one pound so if it's five pounds for two dollars what happens if you just add one more pound do you add two more dollars well no because you can get five pounds for two dollars right. so one pound yeah. yeah so thinking about those two things varying in tandem uh, five pounds for two dollars what if you only want one pound or what if you have three dollars those kind of problems are deal with proportional reasoning. What if you're trying to build a ramp and by ratio the law is 1 to 12 or 1 to 20? Those are typical ratios out there. Um, what does that even mean? So that means if it's the ratio of 1 to 20, that means for 1 inch of vertical rise, then the, you have to have 20 inches of horizontal length or run. Those two vary in tandem. So um, if you've got a certain um, height of a uh, that you need to build a ramp for, then you have to consider how long that ramp has to be. Or what if you're trying to get a job done? Say that you know that it takes 20 students, 30 minutes to pick up trash for the whole playground. You know that you've got this experience. Kids are all working. Mm -hmm. It takes 20 20 students, 30 minutes to get that whole job done. But today you've only got 15 students. How long is that going to take? That's another kind of of relationship that you'd want to use proportional reasoning. All of these scenarios deal with rates and not just unit rates, but non-unit rates where I, it's not just a, a rate to one or one to something, but it's got two numbers varying in tandem. And that is the change from elementary school to middle school when yeah. we go from, uh, yeah, from yeah a unit rate to a non-unit rate. Go ahead.
1: So I'm, I, I feel you on the unit rate because I feel like um, if you say there's 32 students on a field trip needing to go in eight vans, we're really focused on four kids to one van, right? We don't, we don't really call it the unit rate. We're focusing on the division. Or, Mm -hmm. um, if we say there's six apples in one basket, we have kids use multiplication to figure out there are 30 apples in five baskets. It's scaling up by five. Is that, is that kind of like what you're talking about? Yeah, Totally.
0: So in a big way in, in third, fourth and fifth grade, when you guys are dealing with multiplication and division, often you have rates, like you just said, Mm -hmm. like you'll have uh, I think you said eight kids in a, or four kids in a van. Yeah. That's four kids per van. That's a rate, four kids per van. But you also had a rate where you had 32 students per eight vans. But you mm-hmm. don't really mm-hmm. think of it that way typically in elementary school. We're just sort of focused on, like you said, the multiplication or the division. So then when we move up to middle school, we're still focusing on multiplication division. But um, with these non-unit rates, the, it's a bit more complicated. So like five pounds for $2, four slices of pizza for $5. If you look at the tag on a bulk food order, you know, when you go down the bulk food aisle and you stick a bunch of food in the bag, you know, don't touch that stuff, right? Use the scoop. And then when you look at the tag after you've weighed it, you might have gotten 6.2 pounds for, I don't know, $10.20. That's a non-unit rate, 6.2 pounds for $10.20. Maybe you drove 420 miles with a tank that holds uh, like 16 gallons. How far could you drive if you only had five gallons of of fuel? Those are all two things varying at the same time. That's complicated because there's a bunch of stuff happening simultaneously. So. Uh, and let me tell you a quick story. Uh, we actually have a family in our in our church um, and um, he rides a scooter so he can get, uh, get along. And um, in order for him to use that scooter effectively, he needs to be able to get it in and out of his house. And right now there's no ramp for mm-hmm. his house. So um, some guys in our church are getting together and they're going to build a ramp. And so in order to do that, they had to look up the, the necessary Dimensions for that ramp in order for them to make sure that they had enough of that horizontal run for that rise. Because the rise is a given. We know how how tall it is from the the, um, driveway up to the doorstep. And so they have to figure out now how they're going to build uh, a long enough ramp for it to be um, accessible for his scooter. So that's all dealing with proportional reasoning. Those are proportional reasoning things.
1: Yes. Okay. I'm with you on that. Right. I did a ton of talking about proportional reasoning with my middle schooler this year. It feels like that's kind of in the land that he was living. Um, and, and we had a lot of fun talking about that. Um, but pretty sure soon he's going to get into content that I have not reasoned through yet.
0: Right. Cause when you were in high school, uh, I think we've talked about before a little bit, that's the point in your life where your yeah. boys came along and you were like, ah, math was fun. Now I'm just going <laughs> to kind of memorize it and spit it out and you yeah. had other things to do. Sure. So totally know you're not alone there. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to sit back and just take some notes while you school me a
1: little bit. You said there were <laughs> three things that you're going to talk about today.
0: Yeah. So today I'm going to talk about three ways of reasoning functionally. I'm going to talk about slope, um, okay. specifically rate of change. We're going to talk about transformations. And then, well, lastly, we'll talk about rational functions. Okay, so you're going to talk about slope first. Let's go there. Okay, cool. So uh, slope often is sort of pictured as kind of this physical thing. And I want it to be a little bit less of literally, uh, we talked about ramps earlier, literally less about the slope Um of like the grade that you're driving on a road or the slope of stairs or even the slope of that ramp, though we could. But um, the, the more general case of that is is rate, rate of change. It's how, um, how something is changing over time. Um, that's sort of the, the more general case. Um, so interestingly, often we talk about slope as one number, um and this is not a good thing. So when I was mm. learning slope and I was beginning to teach uh, high school math at first, I would say ah, you know, that line has a slope of 2 or that line has a slope of, of 5 and and we we would talk about which one was steeper and everything. But uh, I'll tell you a quick story. So um Kim, you and I both know Garland Lincoln Hoger. Yeah. Right? She's a, a good friend of ours yeah. an, an excellent mathematics teacher educator. Um a long time ago, she and I were working together and um this is early in the day while I was still building my numeracy. And uh, she was complaining about a, a meeting that she had just been in with some national people. And and one of the mathematicians, or at least was supposed to be the mathematics expert in the panel, said something about the rate of change of a line being um, like two or three or something. And she she was like, ah, you can't talk about slope as as one number. That's got to be three to one. If the slope of that line is three, no, it's, it's three to one. And, and I, it was kind of funny at that moment because I definitely used one number to describe the slope of a line before. And, and I kind of smiled and I said, you're making kind of a big deal of this. And she said, it's a huge deal. We must understand rate as, uh, the, like I said earlier, as those two things varying in tandem. Wow. And So okay. if it's, it's not a rate of three, it's a rate of three to one. And that's going to help kids more than when we say, oh, well, this, this slope is one half one half, that's kind of like Mm. one half to one, but it's also one One to two. two. Yeah, totally. And so slope, if we've got a really good sense of this proportional reasoning, it will just lean really well into this idea that slope Mm. is not, um, we, we shouldn't represent slope by one number, but we should also represent it as a rate, as a ratio of two things to each other. So I can see how my proportional
1: reasoning will help me better understand slope when I consider that it's not just one number.
0: Yeah, nice. Cool. Cool. Okay. So you said three things. Tell us about number two. So number two is all about transformations. Um, it used to be back in the day when I took uh, high school math, we didn't even talk about transformations. Um, so I, I really applaud the fact that now we've got transformations helping us understand how we can think about parent functions and how those transformations uh, just affect those parent functions parent functions, and we can think about the graphs of the functions as they change. However, if we're not really thinking functionally, um, one way we might look at transformations is we might look at a typical parent function, like a quadratic function. For those of you that haven't looked at quadratic functions for a while, that's the one that looks kind of like a U. Um, We might call it a parabola. So that parabola or that quadratic function kind of looks like a U. If I'm not thinking functionally, then I'm actually thinking of that as, as a static shape, like a U, like I might think of it like, um, a pipe cleaner that I've sort of put in the shape of a U or, or even, a. uh, a uh, fruit roll-up or something where I've, I've sort of got something that I can kind of put it in that shape and it sort of sits there. But a parabola or quadratic function isn't a static shape. It's actually the relationship between two variables. It has everything to do with when I go over a certain distance on a coordinate axis, when I go over that certain distance, I go up that distance squared. So if I've gone over one, then I go up one because one squared is one. But if I go over two, if I go over two, I go up four because two squared is four. Mm-hmm. And then I plot that point. So what that means is, the further I go to the right, then I'm going to go up that number squared. Uh, that continues to happen. It's not a static U. It's really because U's kind of get 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 vertical, right, pretty quick. But a parabola never gets vert, totally vertical. A parabola is always getting higher the square as I go over to the right Mm -hmm. that number but it also then is to the left as I go over to the left then I square that number and the number squared is positive and so then I go up that and that's why we sort of get this kind of u shape but it's not it doesn't turn vertical in the end like a u does it continues to to grow um, as we go either to the right or to the left so a first way is to understand the parent functions correctly that they're not these static shapes that we can just sort of move around, they are in fact relationships between two variables. Well, then we talk about um, transformations on that, that parabola, on that shape, and, or, which isn't a static shape, right? it's a relationship between two variables. But the transformations of those is we might multiply the whole function by a number. Here's a way that you can know if you kind of have a limited functional version, uh, uh, if you have a limited view of functions, functional understanding, is if you think about when I do something like 2x squared or 3x squared or 5x squared, if you think about that as the parabola getting skinnier, that's a bit of a limited view. That's an incorrect, it's not a functional view of what's happening to the parabola. What's actually happening if I take a parabola like x squared and I multiply it by 3 what actually happens is as I go out, now when I go over one, I don't go up one anymore. Now, when I go over one, I go up three times that amount. So I go over up, I go over one, I go up three. If I go over two, two squared is four, but that four times three, that's 12. I'm going up 12. So when I go over, instead of going up the same amount I was before, I'm going up three times that amount. That might look skinnier if I'm thinking real static shape. But if I'm really thinking about what's happening to the points as I go further to the right, as I go further to the left, I recognize, oh, I'm actually scaling that function by three. Everything's three times as tall as it is. So the function feels very much bigger than it did before, not skinnier. Skinnier has kind of the smaller connotation, but really the Y values are getting getting bigger three times as fast. That has a a feel to it of much bigger. So uh, you you might notice if students are talking about transformations, especially when we're we're dilating transformations, we're scaling them. If they talk about that function getting skinnier, when in reality it's getting bigger faster, that's a, a way that you can tell they're not thinking functionally. But a way you can tell they're thinking functionally, if they're really thinking about how that scale factor is affecting all those Y values. For example, if I take that same X squared and now I scale it by one half. Well, that kind of if it's if I have kind of a limited view, I might think about it as fatter. I might think I might look at that parabola. Oh, it's kind of like fatter. Um, But in reality, it's much more like an elephant sat on it and squished it. So if you could sort of picture that kind of U shape before now it's kind of oh it's kind of like why is it sort of squished well because now when i go over 1 instead of going up 1 now i only go up half as much so when i go over 1 i'll go up half or when i go over 2 normally i would go up 4 right because 2 squared is 4 but now i only go up half that much i only go up 2 and so whereas i used to when i would go over i would go up a certain amount now every time i go over i only go up half that amount Wow, that's like a squashed version of the of the function. And so, if I have this sort of sense of um, it got wider, that's that's not correct at all. In fact, it's gotten squashed. It's only go up half. As, it's only going up half as much as it was before. Or say if I have x squared times one tenth. Whoa, now it's really only going up a tenth of the of the way that it was every time. And so, viewing transformations more as The parent functions are these infinite sets of points. And when I transform them, I really have to think about what's happening sort of point by point and and then accurately describing what's going on. So I I know I'm doing this all in the air. It's really hard to do. Uh, I hope you're getting sort of a sense of what I'm talking about. Sure.
1: And it sounds like you can almost um, hear uh, the difference between a student who's thinking functionally based on how they're describing what's happening to the parent function.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's a a great way of putting it. Yeah. Cool.
1: Okay. So we talked about uh, slope a little bit and talked about transformations. You said there was one more thing that you want to talk about.
0: You bet. And so y'all, this is going to be the one that's going to be the hardest for me to describe. Um, not using visuals, but I'm going to do my best. So a rational function is something that is a thing divided by a thing. So like a rational number is like three fourths, three divided by four. Um, sometimes you might use positional language to describe what it looks like three over four, but that doesn't—that's not really mathematical. But we might have um, x squared plus one over x cubed minus one. That, that's an example of a rational function. Is what it would sort of look like if I wrote it. Um, but you'll notice that if I'm if I have that division bar, um, x squared plus one divided by x cubed minus one, that division bar. Um, Really is like a, a way of talking about ratios. So I could also talk about rational functions as x squared uh, plus one, the ratio of x squared plus one to the ratio of x cubed minus one. So mm-hmm. it's if I can, if I'm thinking functionally, I'm not thinking over. I'm thinking about the ratio of those two polynomials. So a rational function is the ratio of two polynomials. So you can tell if a student or a teacher's thinking. Functionally, about how they describe the way they're thinking about rational functions. So, for example, if if a student says x squared plus one over x cubed minus one, that's kind of thinking uh, like I'm just describing what the, the the x's look like. I'm not really thinking about the fact that it's a ratio of those right. two polynomials. But also, it's a ratio of two polynomials. So now I'm going to bring in what I know functionally about polynomials. If I know functionally that polynomials have these long-run behaviors, then I know something about the long-run behavior of X squared, and I know something about the long-run behavior of X cubed. Then I can use my proportional reasoning Mm. to bring in the ratio, and I can think about the ratio of those long-run behaviors so that's why I have to have proportional reasoning to know that I'm dealing with a ratio and then I have to have functional re- reasoning to know that I'm dealing with longer behaviors of polynomials. And then I think about the ratio of those longer behaviors to think about the longer behavior of a rational function. All right. So yeah, that probably was a little bit much for anybody who hasn't thought about polynomials and longer behaviors and functional. Well, but that's okay. for you, for you high school teachers out there, I hope you can um, sort of picture if you know something about the longer behaviors of polynomials, then you should be able to use what you know about ratios to think about the ratios of those long-run behaviors to inform the longer behavior of the rational. Let me finish with one more thing. Also, those polynomials have um, short-run behaviors. What's happening in the short-run, like right around zero usually. Well, I can use what I know about the short-run behavior of those polynomials to also help me think about the short-run behavior of the rational function. And and you know that rational functions have this funky behavior. Kim, you probably remember from high school where we had these asymptotes and mm-hmm. things were like going like, um, they were sort of sucking up to these vertical asymptotes. All of that vertical asymptote and um, the, the removable discontinuity behavior that's happening in a rational function is all based on the short-run behavior of the polynomials, because that's the short-run behavior of the rational function. So I'm not going to go on too much more about that, but that is a way that you can sort of understand what I'm talking about with uh, functional understanding, functional reasoning uh, in high school math.
1: You know, and I'm sitting here thinking about how it's it's um, it's really clear to me that the stronger of a proportional reasoner you are. The better you're going to be able to make sense of functional reasoning, because you're able to relate so much of it to that type of reasoning. I That's have exactly. written so many notes, and <laughs> frankly, I wish that I had you for my high school math teacher. Because while they were um, really nice and and explained well, they I don't know were tapping into what I made sense of already. Um, Mm -hmm. so listen, I'm going to, um, ask you to expect some phone calls when my kid gets (laughs) to high school because we're going to need some more talking. (laughs)
0: Absolutely. I'm there for you. And lest uh, listeners, lest you think that those phone calls that Kim's talking about are going to be like whole tutoring sessions. Actually, uh, often when Kim will call and say, hey, my kid's working on something, I can just sort of say, oh, that connects to this thing that, you know, and bam, they're off and running. So it doesn't it's not like I have to sit down and do, you know, uh, teach the whole semester or anything because. Uh, both Kim and her son Luke are so well versed in all of the kinds of reasoning up to where they are. I can just sort of connect it back to the way they've been thinking and reasoning about something, and they can, you know, fly with uh, sort of a new topic. Okay, y'all. I know that that was really up in the uh, in the air. We didn't have any visuals to sort of help with all that, so uh, we'd love some feedback on that. Um, let us know where we, I sort of lost you and maybe where I can do some blog posts or maybe a, a video blog where we can um, do a lot more visualizing and we can use some visual models so that we can make that thinking more visible. Don't worry if you didn't pick up on all that stuff. Um, we believe that math concepts are developed. And so really, if, if, uh, if how do I say this? Since math concepts are developed, then I don't think I should be able to just tell you some stuff over the radio, and that you should own it like deeply and completely. Um, if you're if you're uh, coming from maybe you're still an additive reasoner, then yeah, maybe I gave you some sort of a sense of what functional reasoning means. But in reality, we would want you to build your additive reasoning so that then you can build your multiplicative reasoning, so that you, then you can build your proportional reasoning, and then come back and listen to this podcast, this episode one more time, and then uh, the functional reasoning stuff should make a whole lot more sense. Because math is figure outable, not just telling. It's not just that I can tell you, unzip your head and pour stuff in. But we actually believe math is figure outable that we have to figure it out. We have to to dive in and experience it using relationships and connections. It's not enough to just tell. Okay, so today we talked about functional reasoning on the development of mathematical reasoning. Absolutely. And if you want to learn more, check out Pam's website,
1: mathisfigureoutable.com. We would love it if you would join us on Wednesdays on your favorite social media for Math Strat Chat. And if you like the podcast
0: and would like to give us a review, that would be so fantastic. All right, so if you're interested to learn more math and you want to help students develop as math petitions, then the Math is outable podcast is for you because math is outable Thank you for listening and making math more outable. To learn even more, make sure you
1: register for our free challenge at com slash challenge. You are not going to want to miss the evenings of May 15th through 17th starting at 7 p.m. Central.
0: Math teaching, math teaching. Go register now. That's com slash challenge. Join us to make math more and more figure outable. And if you can't join live, register and we'll send you access to the recordings. We'll see you there.